والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن وله. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Safina Society, nothing but facts live stream. Where uh, did have a missed cla- uh, session last yesterday, and that had to do with a family um, necessity uh, related to health. And of course, as always, your family's got to be your top priority, especially if it's your parents. So that was yesterday, but today we're back, and I want to make a comment about. Uh, we have a couple um, different um, uh, segments today. We are going to have a little bit of affairs of the Ummah. We're going to read a little bit from uh, Imam uh, uh, Ahmad Mashur al-Haddad's book on Aqidah. But there's also something I want to talk to you about which, which relates to the question of alimony. So Rai, somewhere in the title, could you put comment on alimony too? Uh, and that... Uh, if, uh, I think yeah, we should probably clip it if we can. Okay. Um, in the Quran, there are two references to al-mata'. 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 Is any? It it is the meaning of mata'. And the root of it relates to relaxation. And what it means legally is that the husband will ensure that his ex-wife is comfortable. Okay. Not in need. Now, the, remember, the legal liability of the maintenance of a woman after the husband goes back to the father. If not the father, or her son first, if she has an older son. If not, then the father, then the other male relatives, then the khalifa, the sultan, the state. Uh, to, the, uh, and the bare minimum is that a woman should live at her level without working. Okay? She should not have to work. But the Qur'an puts, puts this, uh, has this concept of al-mata'. It is obligatory during the idda. Roof over her head, clothes on her back, and food in her mouth. Okay? It's obligatory in the idda. It is, in the Maliki Madhab, I spoke to some shiukh about this. Highly, highly recommended. Afterwards. During it, idda, obligatory. Afterwards, it's highly recommended. Some said for a year. Others said uh, provided she's weak because that ends up being sadaqah. Right? So it ends up being under the banner of sadaqah, essentially. I've had discussions with some people recently on the issue of the, the, the struggles of women who forwent their ability to earn any money by stalling their careers because they had kids. And then... Something bad happens in the marriage and she's divorced with four kids or three kids or what have you. And they want alimony for that. Well, the first thing I would have to say is if we are recoursing to the Sharia, then we truly and honestly have to follow the Sharia in all matters. And that means once your sons, your boys, your males reach puberty, they're not your responsibility. They should go to the, the husband. So that unloads that responsibility. That's the first thing. We can't desire the Sharia in one realm. We want Sharia. But wait a second. When This is also Sharia. And it's for your benefit. You're unloading a financial burden. You're unloading an emotional burden. And let me just tell you straight. I don't believe that most women can raise a boy. Because you don't know. You've never been a boy. I mean, it's very logical. It's very logical and objective. You can't raise a teenage son. Okay? Because you have never been a teenager. You don't know, like, where is the realm of this kid is just being a kid? Or, I had a mother 
She said to me, I need you to talk to my son. His heart is black. I said, why is his heart black? He's into satanic music or something. She said that she went out. Listen to this. Her, the grandma and the daughter and the son. One boy, one like 14-year-old boy, his little sister, his mom, his grandma. They went out and did shopping in New York. And the kid was so like bothering his sister at all means, moody. I was like, your son's normal. If that's what you're saying, he keeps bothering his sister, right? Uh, Cracking jokes, walking off away from the family. I said, so hey, so I'm like, I said, where were you going? And they're like, different like clothes shops. I was like, your son is normal. That is not satanic. That is nothing. Who in their right mind at the age of 14 wants to go out with mom, grandma, and sister for five, six hours, right? You put him in a position that is intolerable, right? It's intolerable for a long period of time. Oh, that's his mother. That's his grandma. That's, he should love his sister. You don't know what you're saying. This is absolutely normal misbehavior in that circumstance. And she's like, his heart is black. He needs to sit with an imam. We sat down and we talked to him. It's like, you're way off, way in left field. Nothing is wrong here. Zero. Actually, you know what's wrong? This situation. You take a boy out, a youth, a 14-year-old, to be with these three women for five, six, seven, eight hours shopping for women's clothes and household items. I'm an adult. I'd go crazy, right? I would go insane if I had to do that, right? So, also the Sharia says, a man will not raise his daughter. If there's a divorce, the, the man never gets his daughter. Either it, goes to, it stays with the mom. If she remarries, it goes to the mother-in-law. Why? To avoid any stepdad issues or to avoid... It's not even the stepdad, it's the other sons that may be in the family. Stepbrother issues and stepdad issues. That's what the Sharia is worried, is, is cautious about. So this matah is highly recommended. And now think about this. If you have, if you're a husband, if you're a man, your wife, ex-wife is raising your kids. Naturally, you're paying for the kids' rent and food anyway, right? You're paying their tuition, their clothes, their medical bills. You're paying everything anyway. It would make sense. You don't want your wife to, uh, uh, to be poor either. How is she going to be a good mother if she's poor? So, but at the same time, if you're going to implement that element of the Sharia, and it's a recommendation, and you want us all to preach to the people that is highly recommended, willingly, you can't make it a fart, willingly for the man to make sure his ex-wife, mother of his kids, is okay. It, you are 100% above board. This is mashru'a in the deen as a recommendation, and we as Muslims will promote it. And the masajid, we always prioritize, in terms of zakat and sadaqah, we always prioritize women with kids. Then it's women without kids, like women whose kids are older, uh, and she doesn't have dependents. Then it's the sick. A healthy man almost hardly ever gets anything for zakat, like maybe 500 bucks to get on your feet, rent a room, and get a job, right? That's it. We hardly, Sheikh Nas is very harsh on them. Like, he's very harsh on him. When he sees a grown man, he, he looks him and he says, you got limbs, you got legs, you can hear, you can see. Well, let's go get a job, right? He hardly gives him zakah. 
I, this Sharia too. So um, at the same time, though, you're also taking on a burden that is that is not mashru'ah, which is keeping your son with you after bulugh, right? That shouldn't happen. You also decrease probably decreases your chances of remarriage. If you're going to mar- remarry, some people are in their 40s and 50s and they're remarrying, right? And you, there's a teenage boy in that relationship, in that house, and he's going to become living in our house, right? Uh, probably it will be a cause for people to, to put a pause on this, right? So, all right, so that's our first segment on the subject matter of alimony and, uh, and the need to help uh, mothers. By the way, what is this um, SAMH? It's an, can you look it up to it? Shaking my head, but S-A-M-H. It has to do with single and married, married X, Y, whatever, S-A-M-H. Everyone keeps saying that, but I haven't, I haven't gotten up to keep up with the latest, um, you know. So that's our first segment. Our second segment is affairs of the ummah. Actually, no, before that, let's go to the Dini element here, which is this book. It's out of print. Maybe one day. Down the line, we will contact, who is it? Who translated this? Sheikh Mustafa al-Badawi. Hey, can you, can you ask him for permission to reprint this with corrections by Safina Press? Because right? you know Safina Press is, our website, we've taken it down. We're revamping the whole operation and publishing actual books. What's up? Stay, stay at home mother. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I can't. I guess... Ch- ch- Twitter has forced everything to be a uh, a uh, acronym, okay, or initials or whatever. All right, this is Habib Ahmed Mashur al-Haddad. In the in the world of like Islamic, you know, devotion, piety, and tasawuf, he is from the Kibar Kibar al-Awliya. He has many karamats to him, and all of his so many of his murids are known to be upright, and his students were upright. And that's the fruit. If you always want to look at, if you want to look at a sheikh uh, who, is in, who is an author, look at his books, right? If you want to look at a sheikh who is a mosque imam, look at the community. If you want to see a sheikh who is a, a, a fiqh teacher, look at his students. Look at their, their, their fiqh, their knowledge. If you want to look at a tajweed teacher and a hifz teach student, I don't need to see their akhlaq, that's nice. Are they memorizing, right? Are they memorizing? That's the question. When you look at a murabbi, then you look at the character of his disciples. We met a lot of them in England. Today we're just going to read a chapter, which is 15, on uttering the two testimonies of faith being mandatory for Islam. Attention all converts and all people in da'wah, this is for you. Once a person enters Islam, when we say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, there's more to it than that. Entering Islam is not just by the shahadatain. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, it's not just that. It's more. So what is it? He says here that we have already mentioned that since belief in the two testimonies is essential in Islam, someone who affirms the unity of Allah but denies the message is not a Muslim. This is why Iblis, does he not know that Allah exists? It's not just about Tawheed. But he rejects the, the message of Allah, okay? the command of Allah. So if you, if you are negating a pillar of God's commandments, which is to recognize his messenger. The first one was Adam. 
wasn't even called a messenger, just human being, Khalifa on the earth. That's kufr. Okay? We should now state that it is a condition for anyone wanting to enter Islam to utter the two testimonies together. Beginning with the word Ashhadu, I testify. Or its translation. Okay? Ashhadu, or the translation in any language. This phrase implies certain knowledge, submission of the heart, and belief so true that it, has, it is as though the matter in which one sets this certainty and faith were actually visible and tangible. Okay? One must say, Wujub. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. Okay? It is not sufficient to say la ilaha illallah without the words ashhadu and without the words Muhammad Rasulullah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammadan Rasulullah is also acceptable. But you must say the word I testify oh, la ilaha illallah Muhammadan Rasulullah what about it? That's you just made a statement. There's no claim here. Okay? That you believe it. There's a claim that there's only one worthy of worship and Muhammad is his prophet. But there is no claim that you're believing that. So you must make that clear. Okay. Someone at whose hands a person becomes Muslim, a Muslim must teach him the two testimonies. Or their equivalent in any other language. Okay. Which expresses their, their meaning uh, okay, and negate anything contrary to it. So we have to also believe that you are negating what's contrary to this, this word. You're negating that. You must negate that. Okay. So I've even seen some Christians uh, be given the shahada with a negation or with a clarification that Jesus is the son uh, is the prophet and messenger of Allah and not the son of Allah. So if that was their like core belief before that then it would make sense to, to clarify that. But the understanding here is if you're testifying to something, you are to also implicitly testifying to the negation of what you just affirmed. If you testify that Suhaib is in the room, you must be testifying implicitly that he's not outside the room. So you can't say, okay, so Suhaib's in the room. So he's not outside the room. No, I didn't say that. No, well, now that doesn't make any sense. Once you testify to a positive, you are negating the negative. Okay? And if someone needs that spelled out for them, then you spell it out for them. Okay? This must be accompanied by a complete lack of hesitation. No hesitation. And by the renunciation of every other religion that contradicts Islam. Every other philosophy that differs with Islam. When someone comes to him wanting Islam... He should make a haste to teach him the shahadatain, okay, and should not delay. There is a prohibition on delaying the shahada. If you know someone wants to take the shahada, you cannot stop him from that, okay, because that would mean that they're now uh, not giving Allah his right willfully, okay. This is Allah's haq. Even what if he dies too? Even should he be on the mimbar giving the Friday khutbah and someone comes to take the shahada, you come down and you give him the shahada. <coughs> there is no such thing as someone who says, we got to implement this. Tell you it happens all the time. Come up on the way. Oh, by the way, after the khutbah, someone so wants to enter Islam. We're going to stop this. 
No, no, let's do it after the khutbah. What, for the theater of it? No. I have to give the shahada at the moment. He says here, even if you're giving the khutbah, you come down. And then you return and continue the khutbah. Okay? His sermon will not be invalidated by giving the shahada for somebody, to somebody. In the MBIC? No, I don't know. That's how it has to be. For him to delay... So why is, it de- why is delay here a major sin? Because it, in, it implies contentment that someone is on kufr. Okay? If you delay qada, salah, for no valid reason, that's sinful. Because that means you are content that your obligation towards Allah is not being met. Qada for salah is different from qada for som, because som has a hardship to it. Salah does not have a hardship to it. Kufr is worse. Kufr is the greatest of errors, right? You can't be content with it. So there is a serious danger that the man might die uh, before being taught the shahadatain, and you are basically implying an acceptance of kufr, okay, with your actions. Neither should anyone take any material reward for the shahadatain. Where is it forbidden, completely forbidden, to take a material reward? In what's obligatory. It, if it's an obligation on you in the religion, you cannot take a material reward for it. So, how do I make wudu? What invalidates my religion? What invalidates my salah? What invalidates my wudu? This is obligatory knowledge. You're not allowed um, to postpone, to, to, take a, to, to demand a price for this. Okay, now thank you very much. Can you teach me the rules of tajweed? No, I'm not obligated to do that. No, we're not obligated. So, okay, I'm going to come, but and you're going to pay me $5 an hour, $50 an hour. Okay. Uh, not advising per se that, but that's permitted, right? Because I don't have to, I'm not obligated. And that's a big discussion. Qurtubi discusses it early on in the book on the phrase, what does it mean trading the word of Allah for a false price? Okay. And what it means is giving false fatawa to please the rich and to have some worldly gain. Uh, approval of people. You get some influential person, some pretty person, someone that you want to please, and you tell them what they want to hear. That is a, a, in contrary to the deen. Or that you, you even uh, work for a government, you get a fee, and you give fatawa for the government, right, as a government position. And you give the fatwa that is false, knowingly, just for the sake of that the government won't be upset with you. That happens all the time. Okay? So this is all for converse. New Muslims to understand when you give shahada, this is what it means. Okay? Islam, for these are, uh, it says here that um, you're not allowed to take any uh, fee for this, nor even in inviting people to Islam. These are duties. These are obligatory, and we cannot take money for an obligation. Okay? You can take money for something that's not obligatory. You could, it could be a good deed, but it's not, it's not wajib upon me. Okay? A man, they even talked about the mu'adhin and the man who leads the salah. Leading salah. Well, don't you have to pray anyway? Yeah, but not here. Not as imam. When you pray as imam, you have to think. You've got to make sure you know what rakah you're on, what uh, sajda you're on. When I'm a follower, I don't have to think. I could be as lost as I want in my salah. Like, I could be totally focused on my dhikr and dua. 
I don't have to think what rakah we're on. A man who receives any such financial or material remuneration, or is it remuneration? It's remuneration. It's not remuneration. remuneration. So, cir- circle this. That's a typo. It's remuneration. Look it up. Since when? What's the definition, though? Money paid back for work. What is a remuneration, then? I think that's when you rewrite a number. <laughs> <laughs> look, could you look up what is a remuneration? Because it's when you count a number again. Remuneration is recounting. Renumer- oh, okay. Renumbering a list or something. You know, it's funny. The first search is what is the difference between remuneration and, and remuneration. Okay. <laughs> so, remuneration is recounting or re- re- uh, aligning up a list of numbers, but remuneration is um, taking financial compensation. Okay. Uh, on top of this, this would put a barrier between someone learning the dean, okay, because now they have to pay. So, you put up a barrier. So, not allowed to do this. All right. The man at whose hands someone accepts Islam shall enter the garden. Okay. The Prophet ﷺ said, the garden is the obligatory reward of anyone at whose hands someone becomes a Muslim. And I believe that is mainly for the one who taught him and influenced him from zero, but a share of it will be for the one who gave him the shahad. Okay. Let me teach say something else too. Mar- Entering Islam and getting married do not need special people with special hats. This is a big myth. It's a, such a myth that in order to enter Islam, it has to be a sheikh. It has to be an imam. Okay? And in order to marry, between two, marry two people together, it has to be an imam. No, it's not. You don't even need anybody. Right? If two people have been previously married, or at least the woman, so she can marry herself now, she doesn't even need a wali. She has to have a wali as a guardian to protect her, but she does not need that wali's approval. Okay? That's the difference. According, set aside Hanafi fiqh. She needs a wali as her lawyer, as her guardian, as to protect her rights. That's a fard. But the wali cannot stop her decision. She has the final say. Whereas before, if the woman was never married, her wali can say, you don't know the world of men. I know the world of men. You cannot marry this person. Okay? After she marries once, that's enough in the sharia that she knows the world of men. She can marry herself. She has to have a wali to guard her rights. Like, you've got to be present with a lawyer, but you have the final say. The man could simply say, I've married you to myself. She simply says, I have accepted your marriage. That's it. It's done. All right? Dowry, figure it out later. And if we dispute, it's the dowry of your, your, your comps. Comps? Comparatives. What your friends got, we average it out. Take three of the people who are just like you in life. Let's say she's a nurse and she's 40 years old, right? Okay, find me someone else that's anything similar to this. And she, her, her, she lived, her parents were like accountants and dentists, right? That similar lifestyle comps. Your three friends, right? Get them, average it out. That becomes the arbitration. Number two. You are married, but if there are no, there's no ishhar or witnesses, you can't com, uh, consummate the marriage. Consummation of the marriage is entering any situation in which intimacy is possible, even if it be a field. Like you could walk far away in a field, there's no walls, there's no nothing, but you could be intimate there and no one would know, right? 
you can take her into, you go into her room, you go into a hotel room. It doesn't matter what you do. If you could be intimate, that's consummation. That is haram until you do ishhar. So the, you're married, but you can't consummate until you do ishhar. Ishhar means that um, uh, you, you, you just have to tell enough people that this matter cannot be made secret anymore. Okay. Secondly, what can you do in the meantime? So in the meantime, you can touch her. You can see her without hijab. You are married, but you cannot go alone in a room with her. You cannot consummate the marriage. All right. Um, so you can start texting, calling, doing all that stuff alone that will not that is short of consummation. That's it. How simple is that? that marriage is very simple in our religion. Okay. It's, I, I personally hold, and many of you have told me that the situation now in the world is probably more influenced by Catholicism, where marriage has become an extremely difficult and impossible situation. And on top of that, it's like life-altering, completely overburdened, and shaitan wants to block marriage because unmarried men and women will be miserable. Okay, in the, you're not complete. Oh, you don't want to get married, right? <laughs> this wasn't for you, by the way. <laughs> I'll just happen to. I'm always talking about this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's basically the summary of how simple marriage is. How do we even get to marriage when we're talking about this? <laughs> it's always a topic. Shahada and marriage. You don't need a person with a hat. You just words. Literally, it's just words. Shahada is not even needed to be given. If, a, if, a, if an Muslim reads this chapter, he can say it himself, right? The only need, reason he needs witnesses is so that we can treat him as a Muslim if he were to die. So that um, if, if a guy took Shahada by himself, this is a theory and a hypothetical situation. Uh, if a guy took Shahada by himself, then dropped dead, how would we know he's a Muslim? we would not bury him in the Muslim graveyard without an explicit proof that he's a Muslim. So what is the ruling on such a person? Mulhaq bil kuffar. Meaning, the he is of the legal category of kafir. But with Allah, he's a Muslim. Right? Simple as that. Okay. What must be taught first? Converts, listen up. And everyone in da'wah, listen up. When you take on Muslims, uh, uh, new Muslims, the first thing which must be taught to someone who just entered Islam are those which are indispensable, okay? And without which Islam will not be uh, present, such as the foundation of the religion. In other words, he's just learning the foundations. We don't expect him to do them right away. The obligation of five prayers, okay? How they're done, the conditions, the times, and the method of purifying yourself. Zakat, okay? The amount due, the time which is done, etc., Ramadan fasting, its conditions and what renders it invalid. Okay? Hajj, for those who have the ability, okay? and what this ability consists of, etc. All other individual obligations that relate to your job, plus to, the, to gender and that are known, and, and substances, pork, alcohol, okay? then zina, homosexuality, adultery, all right? murder, theft, lying, backbiting, calumny, the things that are the basic morals of Islam. All right, the, ne the necessary conditions 
for buying, selling, marriage, and whatever else that you need to know in regular life. Okay? All this has to be done wisely and gently, so the heart is attracted and given the security that comes with familiarity. That is what you got to look for. And that's why one of the best people in Dawah, I actually think he went a bit uh, light. He went a bit light on people, but he has a psychology for this. He used to tell people that all you need to do the first year of being a Muslim is you need to avoid pork right away and hang out with other Muslims, make Muslim friends. I felt that that's too light. But, uh, and then he used to say, you have a year to learn how to pray. I was like, this is really light. This is, is this right? But he said that it nev- nobody ever waited a year to pray. They learn to pray right away. Right? And he said, by saying that though, it puts them at ease. It puts them like there's no burden. I think you have to be different. Different people are, some people are so intense. They're ready to pray fast and make hajj right away. Other people, you got to look at their situation. I mean, Ryan and I know a convert who's in a very tough situation, right? And, and, and she may not be able to do half of these things until her situation is resolved. So uh, you have to have wisdom and you have to um, understand that you are permitted to go slow in teaching certain things if that would scare the person off. Okay. Doubts and ambiguities which may have been stirred within him by the enemies of Islam before entering Islam must be removed by clear explanations backed up by evidence so the truth of Islam may take firm root in their hearts. And the insinuations of Iblis and other insidious, 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 not insidious, insidious falsehoods may be eliminated. Let me tell you another thing. Many people don't know the difference between aqidah and fiqh. So some uh, people may think, if I become Muslim, I have to stop drinking right away or else I can't be Muslim. Well, that's not the case at all. You can be a Muslim and a sinner, right? And that's higher than a kafir, right? So at least you gave Allah some of his dues and you can give Allah his other dues later, right? As time progresses. And Iman has to strengthen in the heart in order to leave off these major, uh, these major sins. How are you going to fight addiction? With what faith? Don't you have to have faith first? Strength? Talk to me, right? Medicaid click. <laughs> he enters. He enters the chat. It's like um, Prince Nassim Hamid when he used to enter. Uh, you ever? You guys know Nassim Hamid? Oh my gosh! Prince Nassim Hamid is one of the greatest boxing stars that never came to fruition. He did come to fruition, but he did not prepare for one fight, and he lost that fight. And he was so crestfallen by the loss, he never fought again. He just disappeared. But the guy was the best entertainer. His clips are more entertaining to watch than Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson. Because Muhammad Ali is actually just a solid boxer, right? The clips of Muhammad Ali boxing is just boxing. He's like Floyd Mayweather, just a technically sound, perfect boxer. Mike Tyson, it's exclamation points, knockout punches. Prince Nassim, it's entertainment. He used to do this thing where he used to put his arms down and just the guys would be winging at him and he's just like... Uh, uh, an Arabic genie or something like that, right? You know, like this cartoon character just bobbing his head, weaving with his arms down, avoiding the punches. Just like a Mike Tyson. You guys know Mike Tyson's punch out? Oh my gosh. This, you, you wouldn't know this. It's almost like the version of black and white movies for video games. Nintendo, when it came out, it came out with like three games, right? Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, 
and then they came out with Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Yeah, Mike Tyson's Punch Out has one of the characters is like an Arab genie, right? Prince Nassim was like imitating that, right? And he would just be like, his arms would be down, and the other boxer would be swinging, and he just weaving and, and bobbing his head, like mocking the other guy. Another time, another thing he would do is, I think he also took it to Mike Tyson's punch out. You remember the old fashioned when a person in the movies, they round up their yeah, fist Popeye. to pump, like Popeye? He used to do that in the match. <laughs> and he had, yeah, he, he, was, he was insane, right? Uh, he's, he, he was complete uh, uh, entertainment, honestly. Better than all these other boxers, as entertainment. But there came a point where he just, there was one fight that, um, he didn't prepare for. He didn't want to do the fight, but he just wanted the money, right? He didn't prepare, and he lost. When you're that braggadocious, and you come in, he used to come in like Aladdin, right? On a, uh, uh, um, on a, uh, like people holding like the chair. Really? Yeah. <laughs> They're holding a chair, and he comes in like Aladdin like this, right? Um uh, and then you lose. You can't lose if you're like that. Yeah. You gotta always win. And when he lost that fight, that was pretty much the end of it for him. But he is a legend in boxing, if you ask me. It's too bad. Well, it's good, I guess, from the Shari perspective that his career was shot ended because it's Haram in the first place. Uh, so that's basically where. Uh, that's when Madiki Click comes in. It's like that. Entering the ring. Okay. Jay Perez says, I hated Prince Nassim's fighting style. It was silly, not entertaining. If you're, if you're a real t- boxer and you're in the sport, you probably hate it. But if you're an outsider like myself and you will never, rarely ever watch boxing, like this guy catches your attention, right? Catches your attention. One of the most important things that one should know is what is necessary with regarding the creator of Allah, uh, 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 of the impossible, possible, and necessary regarding beliefs in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? This can be done by studying any comprehensive creed that accords, accords with Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, such as the creed written by Hujjat al-Islam al-Ghazali or Imam al-Haddad, Abdullah bin Ali al-Haddad, and it's also necessary to know the names of the Prophet his father and mother, basically where he was born, and uh, where he became, where he received his revelation in Mecca, then emigrated to Medina. You need to know the fundamentals of your messenger, okay, where the Prophet died and buried, and you should know some of his miracles, some of his sunnah, some of his character, basically a, a couple lectures in Shama'il and Sirah. Okay. And basic things that a Muslim should not be ignorant of, which I would say a couple khutbas, a couple convert classes will cover these fundamentals. And anyone who's paying attention will learn all these things within a few weeks and a few years. Okay. Uh, uh, bef- uh, within a few weeks and a few months. Before one year ends, you should have that coloring of Islam upon you. Okay. The creed of Imam al-Haddad is here, and it is literally like three pages. It's short, okay? And maybe, maybe today in convert class we'll read it. How's that? Right? We'll read from this, even though we're on the Khulafa al-Rashidin, but this is very important too. 
we have a convert class here at 6 o'clock, inshallah. Next segment of our live stream is that be a supporter of the Safina Society live stream. What are you doing? Benefit, benefit, benefit. No giving back. How do you think this is going to happen? You think this camera, this rent is free and all this stuff is free? Take, take, take. But you got to give, right? So. Shaker, Shaker, I mean, on Malcolm X, they had a great, like, talk. Yeah. Do, like, black events around the table. And, like, he had a great talk where they talked about, like, why Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Because everybody was putting things on the table. And everyone was Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Uh, Ryan is just telling us here, if you didn't hear that, that why was the Nation of Islam so successful? When you came in the Nation of Islam, you came in with a spirit of giving and sacrifice and that the nation is more important than you, right? We don't ha- Although we don't have that official formality within Ahl Sunnah, that there's no like church that you're joining, there's no masjid that you're like signing up to be part of, but we have to have the general teaching that you need to be there for your ummah. And the best way to be there for your ummah is to be personally. The vast bulk of your efforts in one place. Like 75% in one place. If not, let's say 50% in one place. And then everything else could be scattered. Okay, $25 sadaqah here, one hour volunteering there. But the bulk is going to be in one spot so you can see the difference. You want to be able to see the difference of your efforts. Okay. And so that, that is basically the uh, pitch for patreon.com backslash Safina Society. Also, learn knowledge. The goal of this podcast is to inspire a person to say, all right, so we get to chill out on the podcast and learn a thing or two and write them on the margin. That's good. You'll get a very decent over time without much effort. You'll know a lot about Ahl Sunnah because we talk about a lot of things. We read from a lot of books, but it's not formalized. You won't be able to teach just from listening to the body. You might be able to teach a thing. Hey, I discovered what Qatay and Dhanni means. This is what it is. These are the three types of dreams. This is what's necessary when someone becomes a Muslim. But that's not a structured curriculum. Where do we get the structured curriculum? Arcview.org. Take the courses and start with the Aqidah class at Arcview. The first thing that you'll see on arcview.com or .org are the Aqidah classes. Take the Aqidah classes. After you take the Aqidah classes, learn Tajweed. Learn Tajweed. Learn the Tajweed. Sheikh Nuh Saunders teaches it online. There are recordings of the Tajweed rules that I did myself. It was one of the happiest things I ever did. I was happy to, to do them was the Tajweed rules. Can't have an Islamic operation where without Tajweed. Ever see these 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 fake operations and these 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 operations? That's what they are. Uh, everyone talking philosophy and mingling Sunnah with kufr and haqq and batil. Just go ask them to recite something with tajweed. Open the Quran and read to me. They can't read. They don't even they don't know Arabic, let alone tajweed. What happens when there's a vowel that precedes a hamza? Four beats. It should be like all of us should know this, like the ABCs. If a vowel precedes a hamza in the same word or in two separate words, it's four beats. Okay? And they give you a cheat sheet, the tilde there, that eyebrow-looking, Spanish-looking thingy. It means four beats. 
all right? And in some cases, six beats, but I'll tell you uh, when it, it's, it's um, six beats, is when it, the vowel precedes a sukun or a shadda. Okay? When it precedes a sukun or a shadda, it's six beats. That's it. How simple is that? That's like the bulk of your med rules right there in 30 seconds. Segment numero cuatro. First segment was alimony and the mata'ah in the Qur'an and the ruling in fiqh. Second segment was what every convert needs to learn. Third segment was be part of patreon.com, support this live stream on YouTube, and start taking classes on arcview.org. Fourth segment, affairs of the ummah. Our article here by Maria Akbar, and she's saying, we all get triggered by the outrage when we see the Qur'an burned, or the Prophet attacked, But we are consenting to Netflix insulting our religion day in and day out. All right, so what's up with Netflix? Why are you ruining my day? Get me off Netflix. Okay. It's meant to infuriate, intimidate Muslims and alter their religion. Yes, reform Islam is being promoted by the liberals day and night. You saw what I shared the other day on Twitter? Okay. Diversity training in the UK had a hijabi woman as a character. It's a cartoon, right? It's a drawing. And she says... I am Ms. Hafsa, I'm here to teach you about Islam. Diversity, like through cartoons. And the cartoon said, my name is Hafsa, I go by they, them, and I am a lesbian, Muslim. This is diversity. So they will never give you an actual Muslim. If you want diversity, what's more? Hafsa, the lesbian? Hijabi lesbian? Why, right? Or... Saying what? Unbelievable. <laughs> hijabi, what's, what's, what is more common to see? A hijabi lesbian or like uh, an actual practicing male Muslim? Like why in the diversity training never has a guy that looks like... Computer yeah. Yeah. Why, why don't you put up Noman Khan, Noman Chima, Noman... Uh, give me a name. Chaudhry. Where is Norman Chaudhry? He's got a beard like this. He shaved his mustache. He's either a cardiologist that works and president of ISNA, ICNA, or he's an IT guy. Okay, he's an IT guy who makes good money, but he always wears jeans, New Balance, and he drives a Toyota. He doesn't know how to spend money. These IT guys don't know how to spend money, and they volunteer for the local masjid. Okay, and they're obsessed with Yasser Qadi. That is like that is the majority of Muslims in this country. Okay? Why are you why are they not there in the diversity training programs? Okay? How many Yusuf Chaudhrys, how many Yusuf Khans are there? You never see these poor guys represented. But who is represented? A hijabi lesbian. Okay? That we have never ever seen 
Not one of us has ever seen that. Yeah, maybe she committed some sins. Like, and you never even see that, right? Like someone to even admit that. R- raise your hand, anybody here who has ever yeah. met. On TikTok, you guarantee there's a million. Are they real or fake? I think it's The Gen Z crowd is pretty real. The Gen Z crowd. They don't, they're not in your company because they're not deployable, right? <laughs> you don't need to do diversity training for those because chances are these kids are living with their parents and they're not employable, right? Gen Z is 24 now. Gen Z, th- bro, there are articles and it's a thing among 40-year-olds to talk about the Gen Z work ethic or lack thereof. They are impossible employees. And, it, and this is in American, like this is general, not in Islamic. Uh, discourse regular talk there are articles in the New York Times every week every month just like like climate change is an article there is we cannot tolerate Gen Z in the workplace right they come in and and like tell us what to do when they're the employee they have no concept there we don't need you you need us there are many of you right there are not many of us there are many employees to go around there are not many employees they never had a parent who showed them the, that there is a rela- hierarchy in this relationship. They don't believe in hierarchy. There's They're like impossible employees. It's like 2010 yeah. Like impossible employees. Okay. Um, and Abbas says Hafsa is a real person, by the way. Really? Like Meha in the uh, Arabic, uh, Georgetown Arabic training books. You know her? Mm-hmm. Meha in the Georgetown Arabic book, she's real. She's Armenian even. She's not even Egyptian. I had this, uh, a student one time at Trinity College that uh, it was my first year teaching and I really did not want to teach. But I said, if I'm going to teach this class, what I really bothers me is nonchalant students. I'm going to push them so hard. They're going to have to, to you know, you're, they're going to have to work at this. I'm not going to be a free A. I huh? I so I wanted them either drop out, because you know there, there's a shopping week, yeah. right? Either drop out of my class or be serious. I don't want the in-betweens. I worked there so hard that we had such a successful term that it became like a cult. <laughs> because so much of their time was on Arabic. It became like a cult, Right they were like about to print t-shirts you know like the level of printing t-shirts right yeah. and i would call each student by their last name i wouldn't even call them by their first name and they started calling each other by their last name <laughs> right and we developed like they were really learning and i was just like drilling them drilling them drilling uh at some point um at some uh, so so we we did that what was i even saying how do we even get to that Oh, so they, they got obsessed with the textbook that they, they looked up Meha. They stalked the internet. They prowled the internet until they found the actual Facebook page of the girl who is Meha in the textbook. Because we have to watch these, these CDs and we've got to watch these videos. And Meha is the teacher. She's the main character. So they looked her up and they found she was an Armenian. Yeah. Anyway, but she had been born and raised in Egypt. Anyway. That aside, okay, all that segment aside, let's talk about Netflix. The Ummah has not remained silent on this issue. Videos and posts have been made across 
various social media platforms as well as it is re reported on the mainstream news. Thankfully, Turkey, which by the way is officially now Turkiya, you cannot say Turkey anymore. Uh, they do not identify as Turkey, they identify as Turkiya. Yep, they identify as T U R K I Y E, Turkiya, not Turkey. Was recently in talks with the Norwegian ambassador in Ankara, which resulted in Norway canceling its own permission for extremists to burn the Quran. All right, as a Muslim, words cannot describe how I feel upon hearing about Quran being burned, let alone seeing videos of it. All right, I describe myself as a relatively calm person. However, the rage I feel towards this difficult towards this is difficult to contain. But I find comfort in the Quran itself, knowing that Allah, the Most High, has made it His task to preserve the Quran in one ayah. Allah says they desire to extinguish Allah's light with their mouths, but Allah will perfect His light, though disbelievers hate it. I take, from this I take that regardless of what anyone says about Islam, Allah will protect it, raise and honor the Quran, and I find solace of that. Subtle mockery of Islam. The burning of the Quran is visible. Okay? It's a visible hate against Muslims. Okay? So to stand against that is obvious. But as Muslims, we do also need to be wary of the way in which the mockery of Islam is more subtle. It may be the case that we are aware of it. However, the younger generation may not be, and therefore it is our responsibility to ensure that we safeguard them from this. A notable TV exa uh, example through TV and film, uh, most of us tend to wind down at the end of the day by putting on something to watch. It doesn't require much thinking. It's entertaining. The growth over recent years is subscription packages, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Prime, Netflix, Apple. No, no one gets Apple TV. Does anyone have Apple TV? No one's got this, right? Uh, just how many of us watch it, blah, blah, blah. The fact that audience is so huge gives an unparalleled opportunity for producers to push their agendas. Okay. Now scroll through Netflix, she says. Despite airing, uh, air to rule, the Nakba and other things that, are, uh, that Muslims like, there is no other faith that is portrayed in Netflix program the way Islam is. Okay, there are various docu-series such as Terror in Mumbai, Terror at the Mall, which depicts Islamist terror attacks. Well, I guess they did do them though, right? Yeah, yet there is no other series uh, of the kind in relation to any other faith. Maybe because they didn't do them. <laughs> but, well, to be fair, all the murder shows on Netflix, they're all white people, right? All the murder stuff. That, because these are the people who are serial killers, right? When was the last time you saw a black serial killer? A Chinese serial killer. Never happened, right? <laughs> so I'm trying to be... I, I always read these things and try to be fair, there right? The Las Vegas Sniper guy. What's his... Wasn't he black? He was, I think he was. He was black? I don't know. I can't remember that guy. All right, so let's keep reading here. Uh, but the only ones that Netflix has bothered to make a series about are those that are instigated by Muslims. All right, give me a bombing that recently happened that wasn't done by Muslims. I'm sure there are if we dig it up, right? What's more troubling is the mockery that is made of Islamic values through series. Uh, the Islamic position in regard to the LGBTQ movement is now clear to everyone, especially after the uproar at the World's Cup. But in one series, which does not deserve to be named, 
A young woman who calls herself a Muslim is portrayed wearing a physical headscarf despite wearing indecent clothing otherwise and being an open lesbian. She is questioned by others as to why she even bothers to cover her hair. And she goes on to say that it's her personal interpretation of Islam. It's just one example of the unavoidable. It is mockery because if you are going to be a lesbian and you're going to twist the words of Allah around, you should, chances are you're going to twist the word of Allah on hijab, but they want to blend. The shaitan always wants to blend the truth, right? He always wants to blend the truth. I feel like the major problem with this is like putting Christianity parallel to Islam. Compare. People's minds, they think that they can interpret Islam like they can interpret Christianity. Yeah, and you can't. Yeah, and there are some things that are not open to interpretation, things that have been passed on, understandings that have been, that the language is clear on, etc. And, and the way Netflix treats Christianity, they think they could treat Islam like that. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, until the Muslims act. Yeah. Right. People thought that we could treat the Prophet the way they treat Jesus, until Muslims responded. Yeah. Right. And and they stopped. Um, or people hesitate, think twice before they mock the Prophet, peace be upon him. It is also the case that when Muslims are utilized, the most liberal of us are used to portray the faith. Okay, that's exactly it. Like you, when they bring out a diversity Muslim, when they bring out a Muslim, they have to mix it. He has to be a liberal reform Muslim to us is not even a Muslim in some in many ways. Okay, especially when you're permitting openly permitting and celebrating what Allah clearly forbade in the Quran. That is basically essentially saying the Quran is wrong. You can say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah and call yourself a Muslim all day long. But if you have that poison belief, you're not a Muslim. Simple as that. If you deny what is known in religion by necessity, or you deny the Qur'an, which is mutawatir. Qat'iyat al-Qur'an especially. All right. Uh, one of them had a rebellious Muslim woman talk about how their strict upbringing prevented them from pursuing relationships with non-Muslim men. These women mention things that are made to sound absurd, to a non-Muslim audience, but are only really accepted by Muslims once we submit to Allah. It is therefore incorrect to only portray certain values that Muslims may have, as they may not make sense to a non-Muslim viewer. What's more, they may not even make sense to a Muslim, but when a Muslim submits to Allah and accepts Tawheed, we accept it. So here's the thing. When we thought, many Muslims thought, I remember back in the 90s, we're going to start practicing our deen and be Muslims here. What will America do to us? Right? Will they ship us all out? Will they put us all in jail? Well, I'll tell you what they're doing is they're taking the uh, path of least resistance first, which is to bait and switch, to let you in the tent, then poison your food, and then let you go back to the rest of the group. And that is the creation and promotion of reform Islam. Liberal, secularized Islam. It's probably, it's been since 9-11... And to now, last 20 years, it's been the biggest, the, the consistently growing operation here in America, right? Once Muslims got attention after 9-11, the outlets, they, they, they picked out any Muslim who had any public persona. They did not go to the Muslim who represents Islam. And we saw all sorts of different Muslims get representation in the media. Now they've honed their game in, they've studied and they understand exactly what they're doing when it comes to the portrayal of Muslims. They know what the actual Muslims are. They will never get a moment of airtime. Only the liberal Muslim will get airtime. And they will affirm his Islam. And he will affirm his Islam. Just as Hamza Yusuf, the, uh, the Scottish 
prime minister or minister of health, in one breath affirming Islam and affirming the, 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 his, his praise or his condoning of Qawmi Lutz. In one breath, causing a confusion, knowing that this confusion is a far stronger weapon against the Ummah of Islam in the West than the Republicans who are coming with the pitchfork, right, or silence. If you're silent about Muslims, you let them grow. Can't be silent. If you're um, doing what the Republicans do, it's too obvious. You make the Muslim feel like a victim in the public eye. Okay? So what they're going to do is, and this is, doesn't, this is not planned by them, but it's Iblis. Use these Republican Muslims, these conservatives who are out to, with the pitchfork against Muslims, these evangelicals who hate Muslims, use them to scare Muslims into the liberal tent where there's poison food. The, these poison pills are the blending of Islam and kufr in one person who is a Muslim, who is put out, polished up by the media, and told that he's a Muslim. All these shows that come out, um, there, were, there was a superhero show. There was the, uh, there was the, huh? Yeah. There was the sitcom that made it, I don't know what channel he made it on, but an Egyptian guy making a sitcom and it's essentially filth. Yeah, that one. So these, the Muslim politicians, left and right, a guy like Hamza Yusuf, uh, the, the, the health minister, right? All these guys, these are the pills. These people themselves are the poison pills. You got a hijabi Muslim fighting for Palestine, dancing at the pride parade. A mix. It has to be a mix, keep in mind. That is the poison pill. Wake up to understand Iblis is not coming to you with pure poison, labeled poison. There's no point. But it's a slow death of the community. That's the attempt. They're not, it's not going to work, but they will get a lot of people. But it is slow death by a little bit of poison everywhere you turn. Okay? And I, uh, the conferences out there that have to make judgment calls, such as Ikna, such as Isna. They got to make judgment calls. So we got this sort of Muslim politician. Do we give him a mic? I wonder what would happen if you asked one of these liberals what do you think is like the biggest thing that we need to fight against right now? Oh, I'll tell you like uh, whiteness and stuff. Whiteness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. i tell you white supremacy, right? They yeah. wouldn't say Hinduism. Like, Never. Like paganism. They wouldn't say paganism. Never. Never. What did the Prophet come for? All right, there was a show called, a, a cartoon called Bilal. It was a fictionalized, that's a problem in the first place, fictionalized um, portrayal of the Sahabi Bilal. Firstly, you cannot mix facts and fiction in Islam. That's the first thing. Secondly, they did this, the, the movie, I, I watched the movie. Uh, at the end of the movie, Bilal, I believe, is like the champion of Islam. At the end of the movie, he says, Muhammad has come for social justice, Right? Nothing about Tawheed for equality, anti-racism, right? Uh, where is Tawheed? So uh, the, the liberal Muslim does take on the, um, uh, they do take on a, a set of priorities. All those priorities are essentially liberal priorities, right? They're all the same. Now here's something else. They ha there are liberal imams, and you've got to be very careful about their rhetoric. It's constantly undermining 
traditional Muslims to and their fiqh. By saying, by always going for the hadith, like for example, there was a woman who prayed and fasted all day, but she used to speak ill of her neighbors. The Prophet said, La khayra fiha. So they'll say, look at these, those types of Muslims that La khayra fiha means there's no good in her. These are the Muslims who, they're outside, all they care about is the outside, that you have the right doctrine, that you pray right, that you fast right, and they got terrible character. All they do is fault find. They find faults in everybody. Well, that is a pill that is oftentimes preached by liberal imams. And they put that pill into their speeches, into their, do, into their, their discourse regularly. So that the listener, when he sees an, actual, an imam, an actual faqih, a person who's concerned about theology, concerned about the rights of Allah, and that he's pointing out, hey, that, that liberalism is haram, that behavior is haram, that's not right, this is the wrong belief, he fits in that mold that was created. Okay? The fault finding, the harm of the fault finder is someone who's always looking for faults. The one who is forbidding wrong is not a fault finder. So they will basically create uh, in the minds of their followers that beware, forbidding wrong is fault finding. And commanding the right belief or practice is essentially, number one, caring only about the superficials. Caring is tribalism. It's like be part of our tribe as opposed to the fact that we're actually tri- we care about this because it's the truth. Like Allah must be believed in properly not because Ahl-Sunnah is some tribe we joined but it's the truth. And what does Allah care more about for us than to be on the right aqidah to understand Him properly because that is ultimately the source of our life is understanding Allah properly. Right? That's the source. Everything flows from the source. It's almost like saying, oh, these people, they only care about the root of the tree. They care about the, the, the unseen root of the tree, right? Not the fruits. The fruit is good character. So good, but then good character, let me tell you what liberal imams, how they spin it. Good character gets spun around into accepting the haram. Like, what about kindness when it comes to the Shia? What about, okay, I'm kind to them. I'm just saying it's kufr in some cases, and it's bid'ah in other cases. That, that is my kindness to them. You're, you're, you're not right. What about kindness is then spun around? You don't know what the lesbian Hafsa is going through. She was suicidal last week. Guilt complexing you. You gotta understand spin because so many mus- millions are getting spun in the concept and idea that kindness is now used for you to allow the, what is prohibited to contradict your Lord, to disrespect your God and your Creator in the Qur'an. That kindness is being used as a cover for that. And kindness is being used, or, 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 or fault-finding, is now the cover of forbidding the wrong. Harshness is being blamed and, and cast upon the person who is doing nothing but trying to stop what's wrong. Right? Be very careful. This liberal Islam, we need a name for this secular Islam. It's not Islam. I can't call it Islam. Liberal Muslims, I can't even call them a Muslim. They're, they're not Muslims. I'm telling you. I'm not saying liberal Muslim as in someone who has a liberal attitude. Someone who directly contradicts the Quran. Right? Directly contradicts the Book of God. Yet calls himself a Muslim. This poison pill, it needs a better name. Always, always, always. So sex work, support sex work. Yeah, 
and she was saying, no, it's fine. She doesn't really forget, whatever. She's like, I'm just being kind and stuff. You know, look at this woman. She went to dinner because she fed the dog. And that's like their whole dogma. That's their By the way, her aqidah was right. She was a sinner, right? She was from Bani Israel. That means she's affirmed the aqidah of Musa, alayhi salam. Her aqidah was sound. Her beliefs were correct. She never contradicted the Torah. She was a sinner. We are the first people to advocate for major sinners. Shafa'ati min ummati. The Prophet said, My shafa'a is for the major sinners of our ummah. That means the people who die upon major sin, they hadn't even had time to repent. Or they didn't even repent. Okay. All right. The agenda appears to be one-sided. It's a very clear agenda. Nobody needs, there is no warning now that is more pertinent than this liberal Islam, this reform movement within Islam that all the media outlets are pumping. Okay. And just got to have your heads up. I already told my kids that there's something called a fasiq in Islam and there are mubtadi'ah. Okay. There are mubtadi'ah. Uh, there are bid'ah um, mufassiqa, bid'ah mukaffira, right? Our kids are mature enough to choose their gender. They are mature enough to know that there's bid'ah mufassiqa, bid'ah mukaffira, bid'ah khafifa, right? They have to know it. Uh, no, I don't think, I don't even talk to them. Let me be honest with you. When I went to debate Javad, I wasn't talking to him. I was talking to all the people who would fast forward to my part of the video in the years to come. Right? <laughs> Just simple language, this is Islam, discussion over. And his points, oftentimes, I found myself like caught daydreaming somewhere. It was like so convoluted in my view. Yeah, I, I, it was so convoluted at some point, right? That like, I'm not even going to bother downloading this. Let me just say what I have to say. And that's why it was correct when one brother said they're talking past each other, right? Because uh, there, there's no time in a short debate if you want to get your point across, and I knew who my audience was. My audience were the regular Muslim who's just going to listen to my part of the debate, right? And, uh, and get strengthened in what they believe. But to download a new thesis and then come up with the responses when I haven't even verified his facts, it's impossible. You know, the right way to do a debate is he submits his first speech three weeks in advance, and I submit my, right? That's the right way to do it. Then I could research and come up, and we'll have a real debate. But this to be caught off guard with, with, with facts that I don't even know if are true or not. Like, I don't, I, I, you're not trustworthy on facts. I'm not saying he's a liar, but I'm just saying, in a debate, you don't take fa facts as face value. Face value. You question, you interrogate the facts. That's why in law there's something called discovery. I've been watching this case. It's been going on. Yeah. Yeah. Which one? I was like murder a guy. In India? <laughs> no, it's like live right now. Here in North Carolina? It's South Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah. It's like supposedly some really influential family in South Carolina. The guy went and killed a lot of people. He killed his, his wife and his son. Yeah. Dis well, he's accused of it. But before, yeah, so you learn a lot about, about trials when you watch these things. When you, when you go to court, you have to show all the evidence yeah. that you're, you don't have to string it together, but you got to give them the evidence. You got to give, the defense has to know what evidence are you bringing forth. The prosecution has to know. This is called, you know, like you got to have, both sides have to know what you're bringing out. Yeah. 
so they could think, am I going to question this fact? Can I confirm this fact, etc.? None of that happens, so it ends up being we're talking past each other. There's no, no problem with that. Um, because my main audience was really the people who are either on the fence, open-minded, or Muslims who just need to know to learn their religion. In any event, that remains to be my audience now. So to answer Omar Abbasi's question, the answer is no, I wouldn't change our tactics. Okay, I would simply fortify the Muslims who are already on their deen. They need fortification, right? That's what we need. Just fortify it. These are subtle anti-Islamic material. We must be aware of it. And we also have to know the... Uh, um, we also have to know the, uh, the techniques and the tricks used by Iblis. We have to know his game, his game plan. Iqbal Ahmed, of course, is coming. Iqbal Ahmed is obsessed with this website. He's the only person who, he's on every thread. Why are you so obsessed? He's saying nobody's forcing Maria to watch anything. This is complete cop-out, stupid comment, right? It's a marketplace of ideas. Okay, so she's also, it's a marketplace of criticism too, right? So um, nonsense what he's talking about. All right, let's take, go to segment number five. Iqbal Ahmed always has some comment on, on who is this guy, right? I think he's a retiree. I think he's a retired guy, Daisy guy. In in in, uh, in his daisiness has no no relevance here, but uh, that just happens to be his. Uh, that's who I guess it is, right? And he goes on the website and he comments every every on every article. Let's go to segment number five, which is your live QA. By the way, if you have eye issues, do we have a picture of our man? Ocean Retina. Dr. Harris Amin. What's his website, at least? Do you know it? Dr. Harris Amin. Get your eyes cured at Ocean Retina. Offices in Tom's River. Freehold, other places. Jay Green. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. He used to be a staunch Salafi. One thing they said, uh, and I apologize for sort of apologize be that in my debate I used the word Wahhabi instead of Salafi I'm sorry for that Salafi but but I am happy that I said Hanbali Ash'ari Maturidi then all the Shia groups Ibadis Wahhabis they said don't use Wahhabi use Salafi I said sure so you're admitting Salafi is not Hanbali right <laughs> you're admitting that right so sure Salafi Salafi, it is Salafi. This movement is different from the four madhabs and the Hanbali aqidah. It's its own thing. Okay, I used to be a staunch Salafi, says Jay Green. I'm learning the way of Ahlul Sunnah right now. One difficulty I have is the adherence to the Ash'ari aqidah is not sticking to the ethity and more literal residing of the Book of Allah, safer and more accurate generally. It is safer, and but the Hanbali approach to Tanzi is the basis of the Ash'ari Aqidah. The Ash'ari Aqidah has two opinions. Is leave everything alone, and the other is the Ta'weed. Okay. Let me tell you why the Ash'ari uh, Kalam approach is a necessity if you're living in modern times, because it possesses the tools to counter and to argue back against the attacks of atheists. You need logical tools to do that. Okay. And... Uh, 
not doing that, not having these, not possessing this. And I said this many times, Sheikh Hatim al-Hajj, we were in person, told me, we are in dire need for kalam. Kalam meaning the ability to argue back against atheists and other groups. You cannot simply tell them because the Qur'an says, since he doesn't believe in the Qur'an. Simple as that. Okay? Jund says, are there any telegram groups? Yes, we do have a telegram group and you're free to join it. And Rai will put the... He will we'll put the link. Sophia says, on top of that, the ignorance of how the deen so that men and women don't know their obligations and rights. Our religion is based upon con- con- contracts that are either built upon generosity or built upon greed. Good greed. And greed here does not mean the bad greed that we... we um, we, we, we blame as a spiritual quality. It's the, the greed meaning that I'm going to ask for my rights and that is not considered rude and it will not ruin the relationship. If a vendor asks me for, for my bill, there is no rudeness in that at all. Okay? Whereas if my wife would ask me for her rights, it sort of messes up the relationship a little bit. It, it's awkward. Okay? It's awkward. Right? So if she were to... T- but... If a doctor's office sends me to a collection agency, oh, I said, oh, shoot, I forgot to pay this bill. Here, boom. There's no law, bad blood there. It is awkward if a husband says, hey, uh, wife, um, you owe me physical intimacy every single day, so um, I'm only free at from, from 8 to 9 because <laughs> I got to sleep early, right? That is just not the way life is, right? It's not the way life is, and it will ruin everything. Try it. It will ruin everything. So uh, marriage is... Oh, shoot. I just broke this thing. Here, forget this. I'm not going to lean on it anymore. Marriage is a uh, contract that is based upon generosity, not based upon asking for your rights. Okay? You should be asking to give your rights and not necessarily to, to take rights. Okay? We should be forgiving when it comes to rights in relationships, in families. Okay? What about when your parents do your nikah, but say you can't consummate until they give you away? Uh, if the husband agrees to that, it's acceptable because right? So it is acceptable if you agree to it. Okay. Can you explain mahar and mu'akhar? Mu'akhar is a bid'ah in the Maliki madhab. Mu'akhar means, first of all, the sadaq or the mahar is a agreed-upon amount of money between husband and wife, okay, before they get married. And if they differ after it, then it's sadaqul uh, mithl, okay. Uh, but let's say they agree upon $10,000, $15,000, $25,000, whatever it is. It could be paid over time. It could be paid on the spot. The mu'akhar is a practice that Father-in-law, fathers-in-law, what's the plural of father-in-laws? I guess father-in-laws. Huh? Father-in-law, right? Father's-in-law. Huh? Father-in-law. They say, okay, give us 15K now. If you divorce within one year, extra 20K. If you divorce within two years, 15K. If you divorce... Within five years, 5K. And if you're married for seven years and more, you owe nothing of the mu'akhar. 
conditional, conditionally paid mahr. And this is a, a forbidden bid'ah in the Maliki Madhab. And we, Sheikh uh, Abdul Hamid Al Mubarak, was very critical of it as a mufti of the Maliki school. And he says about it, it has caused more harm than good. They think they're locking the man in marriage. Right? That's what they think. But let's actually think logically. If the man is happy in marriage, he doesn't need that. If he's unhappy in marriage and locked in, he's going to be worse. What it's going to do, because the mu'akhar has no value if he's happy. It only has value when he's unhappy. Lock in a guy in a marriage financially when he's unhappy, what is he going to do? He is going to bother the woman so much until she foregoes the mu'akhar, right? And that's what happens, that he starts to bug her and make her life so miserable and use his brain and his abilities to make her life so miserable that she ends up, um, that she ends up uh, foregoing it. So get me out of this marriage at whatever cost. Okay, so that's the problem. Uga Panda, who we met in New York at NYU, he said, what do we talk about today? Today we talked about, in terms of affairs of the Ummah, the subtle promotion of reform Islam in, 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 in media, in entertainment. And I talked about some of the subtle um, poison pills put in the minds of people of, of reform Islam imams, liberal imams. And they will always undermine concern for aqidah and fiqh and forbidding wrong. And they will treat that as harshness and superficiality. Okay? And they will use kindness and, and openness and justice as a door to bring in everything that God forbids in his book. Okay. Okay. Prince Nassim started to do dawah in the boxing. He entered the ring in Vegas saying La ilaha illallah um, I guess that's before the lady in the bikini came with one round two rounds <laughs> uh, hey uh, is that what do we what do we say about such dawah I guess we have nothing to say right I have nothing to say nothing to say you can't say that it's bad you can't say it's good dawah in such a setting Right in the first place is a problem, but once now it happens, I guess I don't know what to say. When uh, back when Khabib was about to fight Conor McGregor, that was a fun time, but it was the same thing, same comment. I can't now that he's he's doing it, you got to support him, right? But it, from the outset, the whole thing is sinful in the first place, right? Pro West says it was against Barrera that he lost and there's a documentary about him and that fight specifically he mentions that he'd no longer liked being in Vegas the Iman I guess was growing and he just totally lost interest in the whole thing I guess that's a great way to say I retired because I lost right but I hope it's true at the same time oh yeah I could have been but I didn't like the profession anymore right are donations enabled well, a patreon.com backslash or forward slash Sufine side is enabled, yes. Thank you for all your support because 
generally speaking, I have to be honest with you, I want to offer a free thing for everybody on the regular, casual, you learn a thing or two here or there, but it's relaxed, and I want it to be free for everyone, but the realities of life is that it can't be free. It's got expenses behind it. Local Hanafi Sheikh said that Imam Malik had his arms disabled. No. A local Hanafi said that. So um, go to safinasidi.org. Rai, could you please plug this in? Safinasidi.org. Slash said. I redid it, by the way. Look it up. I redid the website. It's much more clear now, the text. It's no longer a PDF. It's a text. Is buying extended warranty and the standard free warranty permitted um, with the, the purchase of the item? Purchasing the warranty is permitted. Without, afterwards or separate from the item, the warranty contract is not permitted because it is a contract of the unknowns. Why don't you talk about Khilafah and political Islam? <laughs> I, I tell you why I, I, I don't demean the concepts, but at the lesser priorities, I got to tell you to be honest, truth is that half the Ummah is addicted to masturbation okay, and has issues. They were not suitable for Khilafah. A Khilafah, if it came, we would probably be rejected. Like the Muslims in general would not want the Sharia. The Sharia has it settled in the hearts of the people, right? Uh, secondly, where? What plot of land will the Khilafah be in? Like Khilafah needs a country, right? Where? You know in the Ottoman times what they did? Let's ride our horses and keep finding where there's no, no ruler. And then we'll pitch a flag and our tribe will start the Khilafah. That's how it used to be. Just go, go in your plot of land, okay? Find an empty plot of land and make a country. The world was a, had, had room for that in the past. Okay. It doesn't anymore, right? It doesn't. Every inch of the known earth right now is under the sovereignty of a nation, is the possession of a sovereign nation. So where are we doing the Khilafah? Are we having a revolution? Haram in Islam. Forget pragmatics. Theory by itself, it's dead on in the water. But if you want to talk about Ummah, and there's a new group coming out called Ummatics. I support them. It's like affairs of the ummah on steroids, right? <laughs> and it's all about, instead of politics, ummatics, okay? And it's like the, 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 the cognizance that the borders between Muslim countries should be erased. I'm all for that. We need a, a khilaf. Yes, we do need a khilaf. We need a sultan. Ryan's cracking up. I don't know why. We got to find out. Bro. These kids cannot walk a mile. These kids with the, with, the, with the orange fingers at two in the morning, and he's like typing with one hand now, right? Because his other hand, he doesn't want to get his keyboard dirty, right? The only time he gets up is because he got to get the charger for his laptop. You think I don't know about this stuff, these realities? Do you want, this is the people supporting, this is the people who are, they need help. These kids need help, Right? The girls, I just can't talk about it because I'm not a girl, so I don't have to intimate with the details. I don't. We need the da'iyats, the female da'iyas, to, to take care of the situation. Okay? Legends of Slay, one. 
How do we give sadaqah to family members while maintaining dignity and respect? Put it in their mailbox. Cash, gift, no name. Are you familiar with Sayyid Naqib al-Hattas? The man, we should read his books on the live stream. Sayyid Naqib. Everyone should read his books who is in college, who study political science or philosophy. What's Muhammad Janaid saying? What details is he talking about? What's your opinion of uh, Muslim skeptic and Yasir Qadi? This is your, your, your causing fitna right here by asking that question. Um, a Muslim skeptic, I'm all for his debates uh, against atheists, against people who are clearly qat'i, they're out of the deen, okay? And they're wrong in what they're saying with, based upon the very basic language of the Qur'an and the hadith. And the, and the well-known sunnah. And most of them, they don't, you don't even need to bring up sunnah. Quran, by Quran by itself, they're out. His style of coming up with these nicknames for them, it's entertainment. I, I, it cracks me up. i got to be honest with you. But me personally, I would stop at those. I would not extend it to Sunni imams who are also sources of knowledge for the people and sources of stability of the people does not mean they cannot make misguided mistakes. They can make total misguided errors that are dangerous. Yes, they can. But they have also, in my philosophy, earned the right to be treated with, with some, decor, some less of a slashing and exposing their flaws because in it there's another harm of like a, a fraying and a fitna within the community. And also a situation where, I'm, I'm telling you one of my people who is always on my mind. The type of doctor, accountant, regular IT guy who just listens to a podcast here and there on the way to the masjid or a way to work, right? Or listen to a darsi or a YouTube here and there. And 99% of the general da'wah of those of, the, of, of Sunni imams is fine. There may be a mistake here or there. So I would worry about attacking them and then, therefore confusing the trust that people had. At the same time, they cannot be left if they're promoting something and they're being friendly with mubtadi'ah. That cannot be left alone. You can't, you can't be left. Because that is also a source of harm. So he's correct about that, if that's the case. Right? Fraternizing with mubtadi'ah is haram in our religion. Okay? Allah's curse is upon somebody who gives... Refuge to a rebel. The refuge, let alone befriending, being on the same stage. Hello, let's have pictures. We're buddies. Wait a second. Um, are you our source of the religion for the common man? You're confusing the common man now. Now you're taking a picture with this guy. And remember what? Common man is not someone dumb. He's just not a specialist. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, a specialist in, let's say, in computers, right? If, if, if I see a software on your phone or on your computer, I'll assume it's a good software, right? It may not be compatible for my computer. But so the, the imam is somebody, that's a terrible analogy, but it's the best I could come up with on the spot. An imam, he deals with people who make quick judgments. Okay, these two are talking, they're always on the same platform. They're always talking about it, right? So they trust them both. Right? That's how quick... He doesn't have time. He's, he's, he's got his own life. His own mind is somewhere else. Right? If you have like scientists, teachers, oncologists, surgeons, right? all these other professions, their mind is on their profession. 
and they need very quick, unambiguous, you know, messages from their imams. The ambiguity that you put there cannot, there's no room for that. I agree with that aspect of things. And, and so, but I, I my, my, my way to be with them would tend to be probably, I believe that the accurate way would be a softer approach because they've earned respect in the community. They do a lot of good work. Yet at the same time, my approach is probably not effective. That's the truth. That's the truth. The nice approach was probably not effective. And that's probably where he felt like no one's getting the job done. I got to get the job done by um, the method that he adopted regarding those imams. So that's okay for me and him to have that difference. It's a difference in philosophy of forbidding wrong and methodology. And, and so that's where I won't go to that route. And he feels like there, it was necessary to go that route. Um, and I feel bad. For, I do feel bad because I know that a lot of those guys were traumatized. But alhamdulillah, that it seems that it, it, it's, it's died down, that infighting has died down. Oh, he's now Daniel is on with the Medkhalis. I actually enjoy watching that, right? <laughs> he's in it with the Medkhalis. I'm like, notifications, right? <laughs> uh, let me tell you something else about the, the parties. Anytime that you have this massive rift within Ahl Sunnah, um, the worst things you hear about both parties are probably not true. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. And that's the case for anything. Okay. Abdul Hadi, we answered his question. Who else we got? That guy, we are being asked to do Juma in Arabic class to show Islam to the non-Muslims. What is a good topic? Uh, this is a question from a guy named That Guy. And the, I would say, tell people stories of the Prophet. Show them what the fruit of Islam, the greatest fruit of, 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 of Islam is the Prophet. When you uh, showcase a product, you don't need to showcase the kitchen or the raw material. You showcase the final result. The stories of the Prophet, the companion, and the righteous scholars and the awliya. But why go to the awliya when you haven't gone to the Prophet yet? Go to the Prophet and his companions. How, he, how did he deal with his opponents? How did he deal with those who mock him? How did the Prophet ﷺ deal with those who were bad towards him? That's the best route. What else we got? Found soul says, what should one do if sibling is always backbiting them, putting one's physical and emotional well-being at risk? We cannot break ties with them. They are ruining the elder sister's reputation. Truth of the matter is you're not allowed to break ties with them, but you are allowed to keep a distance and you are allowed to say why. If you're being harmed, you are allowed to say, so-and-so is harming me. They backbite me. I'm not coming. I'm not cutting off my family ties. I'm protecting myself. I'm not coming. You are allowed to say that. Okay? What about a woman that works, has a daughter, and wants to remarry, and the grandmother's out of the question? She can keep her daughter and marry. But if she remarries a guy who has a son, okay, 
if the stepkids are mixed, they can't see each other. Step siblings are not mahram. That husband and wife will have to live as neighbors. That's the truth. They have to live as they 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 have to live in two homes. It may seemingly be impractical, but it's more practical because now it gives you it opens if you eliminate every let's say you only have a daughter then you have to eliminate every guy who has a son that's not practical right so you would have to live in in two separate homes with separate doors separate locks everything okay such that there was no way for these kids when they're teenagers to have khalwa okay two complete separate homes and that the boys will never enter that home without their dad. Okay, let's say you got the Brady Bunch, man with sons, girl, mom with girls. You get two homes. Okay. Uh, the sons will never enter that home without their dad. Or that the girls are not there. Okay. Or that the mom, and, and really, he can enter if the mom is there, but what's his business, right? The girls do not go to that house unless the sons are not there or the mom is with them. These are rules of engagement to avoid calamities, to avoid fitting. The husband and wife have all their possessions in both homes. Both are their homes. The, the wife has the full right to walk into that house anytime she wants, and the husband has the right to walk into that house anytime he wants. And he has to, he should, technically, if it's financially feasible, facilitate in the rent of both homes or the mortgage of both homes or the payment of both homes, right? Obviously, such an arrangement is going to need more financial support, okay? Unless the guy's very rich or unless their apartments are very small. But uh, you, you, you need financial support at that point. And if you're two grown adults, you got your lives going already, you know how to do things. I, I don't see any problem with the wife uh, knowingly, I know this is the deal. It's it's an expensive deal, but I'd rather be married to you in two homes than not married at all. And so she will participate in paying that. But the guy should prioritize at least the payment so that and the food so that he can. The wife feels I have a husband. I don't just have like a boyfriend who comes in. A husband who takes care of the finances here makes my life a little bit easier. So he should do that. If uh, that means downsizing a little bit, it's up to you. It's your choice. You're the one who likes her, right? <laughs> if she likes you, then, and it's, it's now from a family home to two condos, it's up to you, right? Oh, my, my kids won't like, won't like the downsizing? Then don't do it, right? There's a lot of factors at play here, right? But that is the Islamic way to do Oh, why such a hassle? Because people rape each other. That's why. You can't trust people these days. People are, they're not trustworthy all the time. And Allah gives a sharia to protect against the worst case scenario. Not the best case scenario. Okay. Give me a question, Omar, that needs to be discussed. Uh, firstly, what do you guys think of what I'm saying? Not like you have experience, but like, how does it sound? It makes sense what I'm saying, right? How does a man who has two different wives, how does he live? You know, they're not living in one home, right? They live in two homes. And that's something, why do I say that? Because that's in our history. That's in our history. Right? In our history, how did men with multiple wives live? In multiple homes. He has four homes. He has three homes. He has two homes. And of course, if the kids are old... The, the, the period of Balaga and 
Blue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got kids walking around saying poetry. <laughs> yeah. It's not that long, but it, it could be long when you, when, if you're like, let's say you're 40 yeah. and then either something happened, divorce or whatever, by, or say you're 45, you may have a three-year-old and a 17-year-old. Yeah. But so, they could live together. Huh? They would be able to live together. Though. But if she has the same, then you both have a long way to go. You're going to have teens for a while. If you have a three-year-old, a 10-year-old, a five, uh, a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old, let's say it's a, a long period in which the an adult will be living with a teen yeah, I see that. and getting abused and getting their socks stolen yeah. right talk about life with teens the other day and life with kids and teens by the way you know i talked about that whole situation with the socks new jersey no longer calls it parent protective services because we had a segment the other day we talked about life with kids that nama comes with it the loss by necessity of other blessings such as knowing where my stuff is coming home to a clean home house right finding my stuff it's missing all the time having any free time whatsoever in the house right to yourself all that is gone once you have a bunch of kids in the house so that's the, that's the price of the blessing and that's when the kids are good and healthy imagine if the kids are no good and no, not healthy how bad the tribulation is. That's the situation when the kids are good. But New Jersey has changed the name, if I'm not mistaken, from uh, Child Protective Services, CPS, to Family Protective Services, FPS. That means, I tell my kids this. FPS is also first-person shooter. Oh, okay, whoops. <laughs> uh, that means I could call that organization against you. <laughs> okay. FP, hello, FPS. I'm being abused by my kids. I can't find my socks. Uh, I can't find. Can, can you take me to a home where the kids clean up after themselves, mind their own business, right, and stay out of my drawer? I'm an abused parent. All right. <laughs> FPS. That's what I tell them. Somatic uh, click is where can I find Omatics? They're not out yet publicly yet, but I'm going to be participating with them, inshallah, on the Madiki texts statements on Khilafah. Like, just as a simple resource. Okay. Uh, Melody is saying, like, if it's, this is not financially possible to have two homes, it's, this is a, it's a luxury. Marriage is a luxury in the first place. Suburban life is a luxury in the first place. The idea of two separate homes is also a luxury, right? So yes, it's not practical for everyone, but it is an option for people who are in the middle of life and have opposite gender kids. Okay. It's not an option. It's the only way to be done. Okay. And their home should be like walking distance. Because otherwise the marriage is going to, you're not going to have enough time with your wife. There's no point. Right. And at a certain point, you can sort of um, leave your kids to sleep alone. Right. And then he could like every other night, one of the parents is, is anything normal in today's world? No, this is not normal either, but it's, it can be done. How was it done in the past? Are we the first type of people to have remarriage? No. Uh, but this picket fence and uh, John and Jane with, with a cat and a dog and three kids and stuff, that life is, it's very rare nowadays. Okay. Uh, it's getting more and more rare. It's getting weird as normal now. 
almost arbitrary. There's no such thing as normal. It's it's normal. It's abnormal. It's extenuating circumstances. It's everything is out of whack. So we have to be open-minded on how people live, provided they're trying to live right, not trying to skirt the law. Is it true that a Sharifa, Sharifa is a term, Sharif is a term, generally means the descendants of Al-Hassan, Ibn Ali. So I'm like, yeah, you can pray in the main hall. Yeah, main hall. Yo. Uh, Sharifa is the descendants of Sayyidina al-Hasan and Sada Sayyids are to generally mean the descendants of Imam al-Hussein and the answer to that is that um, the Shafi'i Madhab allows if the father wants to preserve the lineage that he only marries her to another Ahl al-Bayt as a recommendation if he wants to preserve the lineage but there's nothing forbidden about otherwise Shaykh says, "If you noticed that Muslim and هناك الكثير من المعوقات والمشاكل التي تمهد الطريق ووجد طرفا لحل طرقا لحل ووجدت ووجد كطرقا لحلها فهذه علامة من الله تعالى لاستجابة الدعاء." Okay, Shaykh, um, this is du'a for studying abroad and after the du'a finding cheap means to travel. Aside from the grammar corrections, I'm not even going to do, but it's a good attempt at writing in Arabic that she's saying or he's saying, I don't know who it is. Um, if you find that a Muslim has an obstacle in the way to doing something, then that obstacle gets removed. Is that a sign that their du'a is answered? And the answer is yes, that, that is a sign that the matter is becoming easy and muwaffaq, that the matter has tawfiq. Okay. Found Soul says, I heard that we shouldn't walk into the restroom in our homes barefoot, even if it's clean. No, the reason for that is that if there's Janaba and, or, or sorry, Najasa, if you think there's Najasa on the floor, and if it's likely that there's Najasa, if you see a clean floor, it's a clean floor. Don't get Wiswas on Najasa, right? If you know for sure that everyone in this house is potty trained and that there is not urine sprayed around everywhere. You don't see it nor smell it. It's a clean floor. You're allowed to walk with your bare foot. Do not become mwaswas on the subject of najasa. If you don't see it, you don't speculate it. You don't assume it. You don't say maybe. Mini Star says, My mom would like to know that if she read a page or two of Surah At-Tawbah and stops for the day, does she need to say Bismillah when she returns to it again? Yes, if she starts from the middle, she say, A'udhu Billah Min Shaitan Rajeem, minimum. And if she says Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, that's acceptable. Uh, no, for Surah Tawbah, no. If you start from the beginning or from the middle, you do not say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim because it all has the verses of Jihad and Qital. So only A'udhu Billah Min Shaitan Rajim. Okay. Why do some scholars say that Kufar live the best life in dunya because they're not being tested by Allah, but others say that they're suffering? Because they're far from the truth. Which one is it? A good question. That is a very good question. It, 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 it is always uh, a mix because not all the kuffar are the same. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned the kafir who is a, lives a good life in this dunya and then jahannam in the next life. And there's a kafir who lives the worst life, in, a bad life in this dunya and in the next life. So 
One thing I did think we can objectively state because Allah states it is that there is a type of serenity, sakina, rahma, that is restricted to the Muslims. Okay? There is a type of sakina like that. There is a type of compassion and serenity that can only be found in Islam. As for many other things, they can be found just in the dunya as Allah's rahmat. Like the sun is out for everybody, right? Likewise, there are people who know how to achieve their goals. There are some people who know how to calm themselves down. Yeah, there, are, there is a, a worldly spirituality. There is some spirituality that exists in the world that you can calm you down, calm your mind, remove anxiety. There are, with your mind, you can probably find out uh, which, what's the best way to live uh, life emotionally, spiritually, and materially. However, all of that will, will not access a type of sakina that is only accessible by Islam. And that sakina is like the ocean in comparison to a pond. Any spirituality that is worldly, any good living that is just worldly is like having access to a pond or a swimming pool. But once you have the Qur'an and you have the Prophet ﷺ, you have an ocean. Okay? And that's often why you'll find people who, are, who have access to that ocean don't even try to, they don't even bother with the worldly means of calming down. They don't bother with those things. They don't need it. Okay. The kufar, yeah. Yeah, having ease in many ways, that is a compensation for any good deeds that they did. Because why did they didn't do it for Allah, right? They did it for themselves or for no reason. Therefore, they'll be compensated in this world. If they did it for Allah, they'd be compensated, in, but with hidayah. If you went around doing good deeds to, for the sake of God, then Allah Ta'ala will, will show you a path to Islam. And then you can accept it or reject it. On Arc View, I would like to take Aqidah and Fiqh. How long do these courses generally take? I would say their course is generally about 12 hours. Each course is around 12 hours. The Arc View Plus classes, away to my classes that I taught, are tend to be 36 hours per term. Umimariam, if parents are learning or learnt Alamiya curriculum, at what age and what subject should they start with their own kids? Nine-year-old boy, for example. Nine-year-old boy, tajweed, hifz Qur'an, when they're young. A lot of hifz Qur'an. Because you're, they're like sponges. And then fiqh. Okay, fiqh. And also, basics of aqidah, the divine attributes, etc. But fiqh of how to pray properly, how to make wudu properly, but a lot of hifz Qur'an. And on the side, he can read a lot. Okay. It's a lot of sirah, I mean. You can read a lot of sirah on the side. Islamic content, do I disregard the people who say that I should be careful of what scholars I take from? Of course, the scholar that you, you listen to, to learn, and you plan on listening to them a lot, you have to think before you just take on a, a teacher like that. You obviously have to listen to different people to have an idea what's going on. You have a brain and you have a mind and you can assess the speaker circuit out there and who's correct and who's not by listening, asking, and reading. Then you can know, okay, I can trust these five people, these ten people. All right. They say I'm taking knowledge from a poison well. Okay. Um, you, you have to assess uh, the critic, too. 
you have to assess. So someone, they're telling you, uh, and by the way, not, not can't possibly be anybody who has, doesn't have any mistakes, but you want to avoid this, any scholar who has a blunder in aqidah. That's the biggest thing. Blunders in aqidah, that's what you have to um, avoid. He's mentioned Hamza Yusuf and Yasir Qadi. No, the, the general public videos of Hamza Yusuf and Yasir Qadi, could they have a mistake here and there? Yes. But the general preaching sessions of these scholars is, is valid and good, right? It's um, not only good, sometimes it's amazing, the preaching sessions. Now, you want to talk aqidah and fiqh, there can be points of discussion. That's not a problem. But in general, when someone listens to the general speeches of Yasir Qadi or Hamza Yusuf, you, they get an uplifting message which you learn basics of Quran and basics of Hadith and Islamic ethics and akhlaq and you know, fundamentals like that it's, there's, there's nothing kufr or, or fisq or anything close to that in their general preaching not close I'm telling you okay, you want to argue something here and there I can find stuff to argue on and mistakes even that I would say it's a terrible mistake in my opinion but that stuff will not be on the general Instagram clips or YouTube shorts won't be there. Yeah. Abdul Hadi said, you mentioned MBF that when you admit your fault in sin, you say, oh Allah, uh, Allah says, oh you're forgiven, that was written. But when you don't take responsibility, Allah says, no, that was not you, that was you. Is that literally? Yes, it is literally that when you come to Allah Ta'ala with the humility of admitting your sins, then the forgiveness of Allah you, you, you beget the forgiveness of Allah. You are earning the forgiveness of Allah. But if you come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with kibr, you get the punishment of Allah. Okay? With excuses. Excuses meaning, no, I never did anything. Right? Re rejection. Like you're rejecting responsibility. Excuses, yes, you can say, oh Allah, I, I did this. It, it's on me. I'm the one who has temptations. Uh, the temptation was too much for me. I was weak. That yes, those excuses you can make if it's coupled with admission. But to say, no, no, I didn't do it. It's the situation. The, it's the age we live in, right? It's because there's no khilafah, right? And you're trying to put it off yourself, then you're going to get punished. I heard that we shouldn't walk into the restroom barefoot. We answered that. I don't know what to think about Daniel's video on Hamza Yusuf and Abdullah Bay. I didn't watch it. Did not watch it. Who is that unauthorized then being called? Is that one of our people? But he's authorized to call that then? No? I have to talk to him then. It's not allowed. Can you get a visual? So hey, just open the door. You know who it is? He's not allowed to call that then like that. Can we watch YouTube Rukia videos? Nah, don't go that. Don't go there in life. Uh, like Jin exorcisms? Ruqya, yes. Jinn exorcism, no. What is Ruqya? Putting your hand somewhere, reciting Quran and Dua and Dhikr. Fine, right? Anyone could do that. But Jinn exorcism videos, don't go that way in life. Most of them are staged anyways. Staged. There was a guy in French who used to do that. Paris. Sfina Saidi class today, we have Tasawwuf at 7.45, around 7.45, 7.50. And then, uh, uh, and Hanbali Fiqh. Before that, if you're a Hanbali, we have Hanbali Fiqh. And in, with that, we will close. As you hear, the Adhan is going off for 
uh, unauthorized then for Salatul Asr, unauthorized but valid now that it's been called. Allahumma rabba hadhihi al-da'wat al-tamma wa salat al-qa'ima ati Sayyidina Muhammad al-wasila wal-fadila wal-darajat al-aliyat al-rafi'a wa ba'athu Allahumma al-maqam al-mahmood al-ladhi wa'attah innaka la tukhlifu al-mi'ad. Dua and Nur Bismillah Rahman Rahim Allahumma Jalli Nuran Fi Qalbi Wa Nuran Fi Qabri Wa Nuran Fi Sam'i Wa Nuran Fi Basari Wa Nuran Fi Shari Wa Nuran Fi Bashari Wa Nuran Fi Lahmi Wa Nuran Fi Dami Wa Nuran Fi Idhami Wa Nuran Fi Asabi Wa Nuran Min Bain Yadaya Wa Nuran Min Khalfi Wa Nuran An Yameeni Wa Nuran An Shimali Wa Nuran Min Fawqi Wa Nuran Min Tahti Allahumma Zidni Nura وأعطني نورا واجعلني نورا وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه